to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. I'm going to get right into this episode pretty quickly here. First of all, I want to go over some headlines from last week because there was an awful lot that was going on last week, and I appreciate all the guests that I had on the previous episodes this past week. It was absolutely fantastic. Lots of valuable information, I think. Um, And again, they're welcome back, as they know. First of all, there were a number of stories that sort of slid under the radar, I think, or again, just showed up quickly and then, you know, were very quickly deleted. Um, the information is coming in so quickly that it's it's very easy to sort of skip over some of the details and be able to dive in a little bit faster. So I'm going to start off again just with some headlines and, and just kind of breeze through these as quickly as I can, but at the same time, sort of... I don't know, uh, provide slight analysis because it really doesn't require a whole lot at this particular stage of the game. Um, Last week, on approximately Monday, uh, and again, this comes from the Gateway Pundit, but it's titled, Pfizer board member says new data questions the efficacy of the vaccine promoting FDA, prompting FDA rather, to delay the decision to vaccinate kids under four. The reason that they're delaying it is pretty evident. It's because it's not only killing people, but if they come out, if they end up coming out with a three-dose regimen for children under four, they'll be dead faster than you could possibly imagine. You see, you have to take into into consideration the the bigger picture here. They wanted this to be a slow roll of progressive shots that killed people off over the course of a decade, if not longer than that. But it's been shortened on purpose by white hats so that we can see exactly what they have planned. And it's frankly the exact same plan for endless businesses and and culture and you name it. I mean, again, look at the education system. Look at what's happening. Look at everything that we're seeing with the education system. Look at everything that's been revealed throughout this entire time. We now have, I mean, at this point, we know so much about what to do on how to go after them. And they, of course, in response, are just revealing what it is that they have planned for your children and what they have planned for everybody else. Again, whether it's the nefarious books in the library or it's, you know, way more than that, flat out covering up rape and child rape. Um, you know, th- this is all, this is all, it's frightening, but it's, it's, it's important. And the revealing of all of this is important. What the enemy is doing because they are psychopaths, and I'm going to play audio of Bill Gates here because I don't think his audio was getting enough play. It's remarkably important what exactly he said out loud without even thinking about it. He's such a psychopath, Bill Gates, that again, he's, he's talking about how sad it is that they weren't able to kill more people and that more people weren't able to get these shots. He knows that these shots are killing people. He knows that. But because he's a psychopath, he thinks that he can just openly talk about killing people and no one's going to actually listen to what it is that he's actually saying. Now, again, this is, this is, this is just where we are right now. This is, this is the step forward and uh, this is what's being revealed. But here's another one. Here's another story. Um, well, I'm going to leave that one for later. Let's see. Washington Gazette. Joe Biden just partnered with Microsoft and IBM to usher in universal vaccine passports. Again, under the radar. This comes from the Washington Gazette. Didn't get covered. Uh, You know, hardly got covered. So these backdoor deals, again, with these companies are something that's consistently being done now. Um, That's, 
they're just moving forward with their plans is basically what I'm saying. There's another audio clip here I want to play, and it's the Veritas clip from last week. This is important, too, because this, this guy who works for the FDA who was caught on hidden camera is openly talking about, again, how they're interested in jabbing people over the course of time and making it impossible for people to not get jabbed. And then, of course, creating these nets and these pitfalls for people who are jabbed so that they are further controlled. We already know this, of course, and we already know their plan. But this was one of the more telling audios from Project Veritas. Again, a lot of it is very basic for those, those of us that know what's going on. You know, somebody from the news media goes, they won't let us cover this important story. Well, no kidding. I mean, that's not breaking news. But when you have an FDA official, an employee, on camera, a higher up saying, oh yeah, th- this, this jab stuff is not going to go away. They're going to continue with this rollout no matter what, and this is, this is their plan. It may be repackaged, it may be remarketed, it may be resold, but it's the same nefarious plan each and every time. So give a listen to what he says here, and I'll break in from time to time. Possible. So you have to get an annual shot. I mean, it hasn't been formally announced yet. They don't want to like pile uh, it going up. The drug companies, the food companies, the vaccine companies, so they pay us hundreds of millions of dollars a year to hire and keep the reviewers to approve their products. If they can get every person required at an annual vaccine, that is a recurring return of. Uh, uh, money going into their, their company. I mean, just from everything I've heard, they're not going to not approve this. Meet Christopher Cole, an executive officer at the FDA with over 20 years experience who claims to be directly involved in the approval process of the various COVID vaccines. What you're about to witness raises some alarming concerns from the government's desire to mandate an annual vaccine for everyone, including young children, to the billions of dollars that exchange hands between our government and Big Pharma to railroad the approval process. I'm a manager for the uh, Food and Drug Administration. My, uh, my agency oversees vaccines, vaccine approvals, and, and uh, devices for vaccines. And my office clears all the uh, emergency approvals. Because since COVID is under emergency uh, order, we expedite the approval of any emergency. I've been there for 22 years. Biden wants to inoculate as many people as possible. I'm going to stop it there because it's just too hard to hear. Again, He's in, he, he's in charge of speeding up the process for emergency approval, which means if you're speeding up the process, it's corrupt and they want you dead. The second thing, of course, that he said there at the end, Biden wants this to be a regular thing and wants to get as many people jabbed as humanly possible. And of course, so do the enemies everywhere, even in foreign governments, which we can clearly see, Australia, Canada, you name it. The, the part that I'm going to revisit here, which cannot be forgotten, I don't think, has to do with them wanting to make this as normalized as humanly possible, in particular in relation to any flu shot. I'm not going to revisit the flu shot nonsense. I've been over that at length regarding it, it not being anything and other than a massive poison. Always has been, always will be. That's it. People have to change their minds into officially not being a needle-related family. Families have to get together and say, we're not putting needles in our bodies anymore. That's the way that it has to be moving forward because the people that consistently now receive flu shots, you have to assume that they all have COVID jabs or that they're boosted 
or that they have two boosters or whatever. They're not going to be around much longer. These people will die because that's what happens with the human body when you poison it over and over and over again. But they want that to be a regimented thing in all lines of work, healthcare, schools for children. Again, they're going to try to normalize that moving forward as much as they possibly can, making these COVID jabs as normal as a flu shot. And even that's not normal. Anybody who, who, who jabs their children with flu shots on a year-in, year-out basis is poisoning their children to death. That's what that is. Um, fortunately, there have been some decent doctors around who have said, hey, look, you don't have to do that to your children. Um, you know, inoculating them on a year-in, year-out basis isn't necessary. However, there are other doctors who say the exact opposite. They'll say, well, of course you have to give them the flu shot. It's worse this year. It's all about money. The more they jab people, the more, the more they get paid. The sicker you get, the more wealthy they become. Even the Australian government now has halted a great deal of their shots because they're testing positive for AIDS. They're taking AIDS tests. And of course, we're seeing the normalization of that too. More AIDS tests. People should get tested for AIDS. Um, free AIDS tests are going to be distributed in hospitals all over the world and blah, blah, blah. This is not an accident. And again, to quote Dr. Zelenko, even he said, yes, if you've taken these shots, you have AIDS. Because AIDS, the syndrome, is a series of illnesses that are autoimmune conditions and conditions that come about as a result of having a compromised immune system. He's 100% right. Some of us were saying that a year ago. But finally, it's actually out there now. So the thing to keep in mind is, and this is the frightening part, is that all of this again was supposed to be rolled out over the course of over a decade or two. But if it's slow rolled, it'd be harder for people to see. Fortunately, it's been sped up, so now many of us can see exactly what's going on. I feel bad for the people with their heads in the sand. I really do. But it's too obvious. The lying is too obvious. So here's the Prime Minister of Australia, Scott Morrison, I believe his, his feckless name is. And um, listen to what he says, because again, this hypocrisy is astounding. The gaslighting is next level. Really wanted for Christmas was a local vaccine, but the University of Queensland vaccine um, will not be able to proceed. 50 million planned doses scrapped after triggering false positive results for HIV. As in science, things don't always go right. It's certainly a tough day for, for the team. The UQ vaccine applied a molecular clamp closing the coronavirus spikes using an HIV protein which falsely triggered infection markers. Everybody who had the vaccine uh, did show some level of false positive result. One of them, Mel Stott. I can totally understand where they're coming from, but I still have no concerns about my health or anybody else's health. The vaccine was proving effective in trials and the participants were at no risk, but... The risk to vaccine confidence was the principal issue here. Vaccine expert Professor Nikolai Petrovsky says he raised the alarm early. Our feeling was it, it, it was too experimental a technology to be rolled out. No warnings were ignored at all. Professor Murphy says the risk of false positives was always known but considered small. Unfortunately, it just became a bigger problem than anyone had anticipated. Which now, of course, means the next rollout and the next story they're going to start rolling out is that we have a resurgence of AIDS. It's crystal clear. 
it's crystal clear that that's, that's their next step and exactly what they want to do next. Now I want to play some of the audio from Bill Gates at this particular conference that he attended, and a bunch of people were, were there. Um, I've got, I believe, three clips of him talking. I'm going to play him and then again, just come in on the other side and, uh, and break it down a little bit. But you've got to hear his tone. You have to hear again how, how casually he's talking about not being able to accomplish, getting everyone jabbed, and the callous nature with which he talks about just life in general. To, to kick off, actually, and get a bit of a scene center from Mr. Gates, because this is, I know, a topic that you've spoken on again and again. You were ahead of the curve prior to the beginning of this pandemic. Where would you assess where we are today in beating COVID-19? Well, the, uh, you know, sadly, the virus itself, particularly the, the variant called Omicron, uh, is a type of vaccine, that is, it creates both B-cell and T-cell immunity, and it's done a better job of getting out to the world population uh, than we have with vaccines. If you do uh, serosurveys surveys in African countries, you get well over 80% of people uh, have been exposed either to the vaccine or uh, to various variants. And so, you know, what that does is it means the chance of severe disease, which is mainly associated with being elderly and uh, having obesity or diabetes, those risks are now dramatically reduced because of that uh, infection exposure. And, you know, it's sad. We didn't do a great job on therapeutics. You know, only here, two years in, do we have a, a good therapeutic. Uh, vaccines, it took us two years to be in oversupply. Today, there are more vaccines than there is demand for vaccines. Uh, and, you know, that wasn't true. And next time we should try and make it, instead of two years, we should make it more like six months, uh, which certainly... Uh, you know, some of the standardized platform approaches, including mRNA, would allow us to do that. So, you know, it, it took us a lot longer this time than, than it should have. So two translations there, I think. Number one, he's basically admitting that natural immunity always works better and that he thinks that that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that natural immunity basically worked and it's better than any vaccine. That's what he said. The second thing he said at the end is... We need more messenger RNA, and that in the future going forward, every shot that we basically roll out for people to take, regardless of the circumstances, should have messenger RNA in it. That, of course, is the thing that's killing people. That's the thing that's causing the rampant autoimmune conditions and the hijacking of the RNA. But he openly says it. He openly says that that's what they want to do moving forward. Again, this is why Webster's Dictionary changed the definition of what a vaccine was to include messenger RNA in March of 2020. And by the way, this is the Munich Security Conference of 2022. So I'm sure, I'm sure the sandwich spread is just delicious there, uh, just loaded with propaganda, clearly. But um, here is him again, this monster, this just troll squirreling around inside of this seat as he's rubbing his hands together, uh, discussing the media impact and the media influence on people regarding everything that's taken place. Bill, how well do you think the media has done in policing itself when getting the facts right? And it, did it damage the world's ability to fight this pandemic? 
Well, I think the mainstream media did a reasonably good job. You know, it's a little too bad that the death number that was published daily didn't say, you know, unvaccinated X percent, you know, vaccinated Y percent, because then people would have seen the, you know, phenomenal difference in terms of risk of dying of uh, being somebody who wasn't vaccinated. So, you know, maybe next time we'll find a better way to get that message out. The scale of the misinformation, once you move past the mainstream media, is so wild, you almost have to laugh about it. I mean, you know, Dr. Fauci and I are just killing millions of people to make money. Uh, you know, hydroxychloroquine is this miracle cure that somehow he and I have masterminded uh, avoiding people saving their lives by taking this thing. There's no doubt that the misinformation uh, enhanced vaccine hesitancy, and that maps to hundreds of thousands of deaths. There's no doubt that the idea that, you know, we need the freedom not to wear a mask, uh, you know, and that that's some, you know, thing that you've got to show that in many cases that led to spreading the disease into uh, locations where elderly people had very high death rates. And so, you know, as we look back over the pandemic, uh, you know, having the politicians speak out, that doesn't work very well because then you, you have a lack of trust. The CDC in, in our country could have been more front and center. Dr. Fauci became front and center. And, you know, the key message is about the vaccine is good, you should take it, and some level of masculine is good. I don't think he ever confused anybody about the, the primary messages that saved lives. What about masks? I think there are a lot of people in America who are confused about whether they should be wearing a mask. And in the United Kingdom, for example, they've scrapped that altogether. Well, that's interesting. You know, what is the downside of wearing a mask? I mean, it's got to be tough. You know, you have to wear pants. Uh, I mean, this is tough stuff. These societies are so cruel. Why do they make you wear pants? I'm trying to figure it out. Um, <laughs> We're very glad you have yours on. Um, so, um, that will be on the web. Uh -oh. <laughs> For sure, will be on the web. <laughs> So again, this is hilarious. Just to review, again, he's he's openly admitting that people don't trust politicians, but he seems to think that we trust people like the CDC and that we trust people like Fauci or that we trust him. Again, only a, only a psychopath would actually make such a statement public. Only he would believe that. And then when it came to the business of the mask wearing, and of course comparing it to pants. Although there was there was way more in that message than I think what can be entailed, you know, when, when he said maybe next time we can do better. He's anticipating, of course, not even anticipating, they're planning to do this again. They want to do this again. And they'd like to do this as often as humanly possible. The question becomes, again, who's actually going to buy into it again? And unfortunately, there are a lot of people that do. There are a lot of people that like their slavery. There are a lot of people that like the mask. The mask provides them a false sense of comfort and emphasis on the word false or false sense. It's not real, but it, it you know, they believe that it, that it does, and there's no evidence that it does. And when you ask them, well, what's the evidence that the mask does anything? Of course, there is none. And then, of course, again, he decides to bash hydroxychloroquine and then try to cover for himself by saying, well, we're, you know, people think that we're trying to kill people. Of course you are. Because if you weren't, you would, you would be able to objectively read the directions on a side of a box of masks. By the way, keep in mind, on this stage, 
none of them are wearing masks, and yet he's telling us that we have to. This is the this is the mind frame of a psychopath. And again, I don't think that that audio got enough play in a number of different places because again, he's openly stating what their plans are. He's openly showing people his frame of mind. And he's openly admitting that they're purposefully and consistently trying to manipulate as many humans as possible in order to get them to do exactly what he wants. Can't have politicians tell you because they don't trust them. So maybe we need to get some new faces and, you know, some other people in there. And maybe they can just, you know, slowly start to, con- you know, uh, get- convince people relinquish all of their individual rights. And then, of course, he even makes fun of those people, you know, that that uh, not wearing a mask is somehow a badge of courage. Yes, of course it is. Of course it is. Because, again, the freedom to breathe is our is our right. There's another little piece of audio, which I'm not even going to play, but the woman moderator basically says, hey, look, what do you think about people getting, um, you know, getting more than 70% of the population jabbed? Is that possible? And he says, no. He says it's too late for that. It's too late. Uh, you know, whether it was mixed messaging or skepticism and the misinformation that's out there and blah, blah, blah. What he's openly stating again, and I don't believe the 70% jab rate. I really don't. I, don't, I think that number is way too high. But of course, they want to make it sound like it's the vast majority when clearly it's not. In summary, regarding him, we're winning. That's my opinion. My opinion is, is that we're winning. Their, their, their complete propaganda front came at us like a freight train. We fought it, we fought it, we fought it. A lot of people fell for it. Um, those of us that didn't fall for it knew exactly what they were doing. We were analyzing, we were thinking, we were reading, investigating, and just listening and not doing what they were telling us to do. And now we're the ones that have no regrets. Whereas the individuals who, again, just listened to it, believed it, fell for it, some of them don't even know what they've done to themselves yet. They have no idea. And they're going to find out over the course of time. It's inevitable. But again, we're winning. And him openly stating this, again, even a, even a psychopath would do it whether they, were, whether they were winning or losing themselves. But we are winning, they are losing, because they've lost the plot. They've lost the story. Their plans are out there. Those two audio clips show exactly what it is that he's interested in doing and what they, World Economic Forum, Council on Foreign Relations, all of these groups, the, you know, the Club of Rome, whatever, you wanna, whatever other groups you want to invoke, that's, that's exactly what they have planned. The interesting part for American K-12 schools going forward is many of these school districts, again, are going to do whatever they can, as many of them already have, unfortunately, like in New York with staff members and teachers in New York um, having to get the jabs, apparently, and that being forced on them. I'm not sure why anybody would be a school teacher in there because, again, they're going to be sick. They're not going to be able to fill their buildings. They're not going to be able to get substitute teachers. The, cl- the schools will close down. This is happening. This is happening in numerous states all across America, and it's going to happen again in the most radical states that are, that are imposing these poisons on their employees. And they rely, again, solely to have those employees there for the purpose of, again, mon- monitoring children or, or teaching children. Not to mention, of course, the other lines of work and how important those are. 
So that's going to be, again, the consistent story moving forward here. But there's there's two particular clips now that I want to play from from two separate states. One is in Ohio, which, I again, I mentioned on the episode with Jesse James, but I actually wanted to play the full clip so you could hear it. And then there's this other clip again, which is very good, from uh, from North Carolina with a dad who's describing, again, the fallacy of CRT and just the indoctrination that's existing within K-12 schools. So I'm going to play his first, and then I want to play the uh, the mother next in the second clip. So here's his clip first. 25, Brian, and Cavaria. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for your service. Obviously, you guys give of yourselves to, to do what you're doing. The community, I think we recognize that now that the political juice has been sucked out of the mask distraction, that we have to move forward. And one of the things I wanted to thank you for tonight was the resolution, the non-discrimination resolution, the CRT deal, because it's, it's happening. And as a parent, I speak to other parents. There's a few things that we don't want. I'm biracial. I'm bilingual. I'm multicultural. The fact is, in America, in North Carolina, I can do anything I want. And I teach that to my children. And the person who tells my little pecan color kids that they're somehow oppressed based on the color of their skin would be absolutely wrong and absolutely at war with me. And I think that's the same for every parent. What the mask showed us is that the parents, the most powerful group of people in our country, that they're taking back the wheel. Now, obviously, we had to take the wheel back for the mask, but we're taking the wheel back from Washington all the way to Raleigh and into our local school board because CRT, all of that, the parents don't want it. It's a big fat lie. There's not one belief. If, if you believe in CRT, I want to tell you you're a liar because that means you look at your black neighbor and say that they're oppressed and you look at your white neighbor and say that they're evil, regardless of the experience that you've had with them. And we're not going to do that. The parents in the United States of America, right here in North Carolina and Cabarrus County, we know that's not true because we believe the lives we live. The fact is, I've been a business owner right here in North Carolina, and I deal with white people, black people, Hispanic people. My children deal with everybody. And the racism is only happening at the government level and on the media. The fact is, you have racists, and there's like, you can't even find them hardly. You just hear the stories about them. But this is this is what we're dealing with. The parents are taking the wheel. I have an eight year old daughter who is absolutely dynamic, who can do anything athletically, intellectually, spiritually and emotionally. She is a dynamo. And I don't want a man swimming against her in the pool. The fact is, I don't want her playing against boys in soccer. I don't even let my sons rough her up. Do you think I'm going to let your son rough her up? This is what we're talking about. Policy going back to the parents. Because if you think people who love America are willing to fight for it, you haven't met parents yet. Because I'm telling you, parents will go further down any street than anyone who loves their country alone. My name is Brian Echeverria. I thank you for your service. And we're taking back the wheel. Thank you. Now homeschool, that's all. Now you just homeschool. You want to take back the wheel. You need to run the rusty automobile that's had your children in the trunk this entire time off a cliff. And the way that you do that is by, again, homeschooling. That's how that gets done. If the business crumbles, it, it makes it next to impossible 
to bring it back. Next to impossible. A state, you know, a, uh, a state department of education showing up, having to fix a local school district is something, of course, that a local school district never wants. They never want the State Department of Education to show up and start asking questions. Well, why is no one coming here anymore? Well, why is it that you have low enrollment? Why is it that your in- attendance is next to zero? What's going on? We can't fund you anymore. And then they close the building. They try to do the other things again to distract from the much larger problem. They'll say, well, it's a demographics issue and a lot of people are moving and uh, people, you know, uh, because of higher higher prices, people aren't reproducing as much as they used to. And so, you know, uh, that that's why. That's why people aren't coming to our school anymore. No, that's not why. It's not really a demographics issue. It's a what's between your ears and who's running the show issue. That's the bigger problem. Again, it should have never gotten to this stage. Should have never gotten to this stage where a parent has to show up and tell people common sense, and then that's applauded. When common sense is applauded, you've lost it. The common sense is gone. And then you're applauding it because you think it's a new thing. I do applaud him. Good for him. And he's right. We're taking it back, and people are taking back control. But people have got to understand they're just not going to give it up. These school buildings just aren't going to give it up. They're going to dig their heels in in their own insanity. They're going to make decisions based on their own neuroses. They're going to keep doing that. That's going to be one of those things that's just going to continue. So you've got to ultimately make it make the decision, and I've brought this up before. Do you want to continue to expose your children in this political warfare that's taking place that's actually killing people, or do you want to save them from it? My recommendation is you save them from it, shield them from it. Now, here's the next school board clip I wanted to play. And again, I introduced this and mentioned it briefly in the episode with Jesse James and Sandy. But this comes from Westerville City Schools, and uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. That's putting it mildly. This, uh, this is a, a, just an awful school board and completely brainwashed, double, triple jabbed. The superintendent has been alerted on numerous occasions that he's breaking the law. Um, I have filed state complaints against this individual, and what they've decided to do, fortunately, is remove the mask mandate. What they've decided to leave in, and I've warned them that this is a bad idea because it's against the law, is that they want to leave in masking on the bus. Um, They can't do that because masking on the bus, again, is public transportation or is not, I'm sorry, the school bus is not considered public transportation, so they can't mandate it on school buses. Never could in the first place, but they've been doing it for the last year and a half. And they've been breaking state and federal law for the last year and a half, and they don't seem to care. Because again, it's not about facts, it's about their feelings. And this is what happens when you operate on feelings instead of facts, you end up uh, breaking the law. So what they've done though, and they've they've been warned on numerous occasions as a result of that. Um, This parent who shows up and walks up to the lectern to talk, she's wearing scrubs, she's wearing a mask, and you'll hear what she says. And I'm going to leave it at that um, because her words say more than enough. And it just highlights, again, the further negligence of everything that's been going on throughout this entire time. It's absolutely heartbreaking. We ask that you please keep your comments professional, avoid use of inappropriate language, and refrain from identifying individuals in the event of a complaint. Please address your comments to the board, not to the audience. And our first speaker this evening is Perry Rutledge. Welcome, Perry. 
Yes, please. Good evening, members of the board, President Davidson, Ms. Marshall, Dr. Kellogg, Carrie Rutledge. I'm here as an advocate um, for those who can't stand up for themselves, um, who can't speak, um, basically for individuals with disabilities. My goal is to bring awareness to the lack of communication um, from a district level down to the school level uh, for these individuals. Specifically, when we as advocates are left in the dark, it makes it difficult to advocate for our children and promote a student-centered approach for these individuals. The most recent incident occurred just today um, and apparently has been happening over the past few weeks. I have on a daily basis received one, two, three calls per day from the school principal about my son having increased behaviors. Only did I find out by myself after doing research that his teacher has not been there for three weeks and no one bothered to tell me this, but they wanted to pull me out of my hospital position on a daily basis several times to talk about his behaviors. Then they called me in on Thursday for an emergency removal for my son with an IEP who does not have a behavior plan. The principal had the nerve to sit across from me at the table and not give me the professionalism or respect to notify me that my child's teacher has not been there for three weeks. According to the IEP, there needs to be an intervention specialist, aka his teacher, present in order to implement his IEP goals, and that has not been happening. I this is just one of the many things that has come across my table recently, let alone hearsay that he's being moved to a different school without parents being able to notify these individuals, setting them up for potential failure. They need structure. They need consistency. They need communication. We need time to prepare our children for this. And this has not been happening. I've been told to reach out to Ms. Glass. I have. I've sent several emails. Crickets. I don't know who she is. I don't know where she is. She's failed to reply. It's very sad to me that a, this size of a district with the amount of individuals with special needs is being left behind, so to say, and that myself as a parent, I'm not respected enough to be told that my child's teacher has not been there and to call me up to three times per day for the last three weeks an emergency remove my child from school, not knowing I've asked and I was told that I had to brainstorm why he's having behaviors. Well, guess what? I've written behavior plans for years. I've already done that. And he still, the principal still looked me in the eyes and told me it was my job to figure it out. I just want to bring this to the board's attention for accountability, for help. I've asked and asked and asked. I've tried. This is my kid. And it's just very sad to me that I've gotten one response from Mr. Kellogg to reach out to the special needs director and nothing's happened. And then to call the principal as I leave for this meeting today and for him to say, it never came across my mind to tell you as a parent. His teacher hasn't been there, but it comes across my mind three times a day to call you and get you out of work. I work in the mental health field. I'm a licensed professional. So when we talk about mental health, it's important across all boards and it's not being implemented. That's all. Thank you.
Mrs. Rutledge, just so you know, we don't answer questions tonight, but I am going to ask Dr. Fella to look into this, which I'm sure he would anyhow, and get back to you. Thank you. And thank you for coming tonight and sharing your story. Thank you. A couple of points that I just want to expand on that she brings up. Number one, it's very interesting, again, that throughout this entire time, all of the learning accommodations for all children who are legally bound to have those learning accommodations made for them have been broken. All of them. The mask wearing does it. That, that, that by itself does it. Again, the speech pathology, that entire profession has been, has been screaming at the top of their lungs about this mask wearing and, and how it just spits right in their face regarding everything that they're supposed to be doing with children and students. And again, I've been over those articles that clearly show the declining literacy rate in XYZ. This should prove to everybody that the entire education business does not care. They're not interested in facts. They're not interested in the past research that's existed for hundreds of years. They're not interested in implementing the law that they are bound to implement. They're not interested in that. They're interested in their feelings. The move that has to get made here with parents is a class action lawsuit. All special education parents of students who are, again, quote-unquote, special education or have 504s or IEPs, individual education plans or individualized education plans, they should all group together and file class action lawsuits against the school districts that have done this to their children. And they'll win. They'll win tens of millions of dollars. Because again, what will the school districts say? They will lie and say that they were mandated to have mask wearing and that this was out of their hands and there was a pandemic. That's not true. Again, their feelings and mandates are not laws. They just aren't. We know that. We know that. They're not laws. And to say so is a misrepre misrepresentation of the law, which means the school board members who are misrepresenting actual law to, again, solidify their own neuroses or their own frame of mind or their own uh, false interpretation of fact is not an excuse in a court of law. It's just not. So again, them being able to show as a school board in a court of law that they did what they had to do because, well, that's just the way that it was at the time. That's not a legal defense. That's not a legal defense against a class action lawsuit where they, they basically say their child has been abused this entire time and the learning accommodations have not been met as soon as the mask was implemented. It would be game over at that point. But see, they didn't do it initially. They should have shown up in mass during these school board meetings and done it immediately. The word go, the word they said, we're going to have masks, we're going to have this, we're going to have that. But see, all of the ESE liaisons and all of these special ed directors and all of those people, they all feared for their jobs. They were all afraid of losing their jobs for doing what they were contractually and legally obligated to do, which means even they broke the law. Any special education teacher who implemented masks in the classroom, you broke the law. You broke the law. More, even more so than an average school teacher who had masks and, and was forcing students to wear masks and coercing them into wearing masks and disciplining them for wearing masks. You broke the law. Special education teachers have more laws that they have to follow because of the paperwork that's associated with the students that they themselves are responsible for. In loco parentis, again, when you're away from the parent, you are legally bound to all of that documentation. Not even a parent is bound to that documentation. 
because the parent can remove their child from any of that documentation anytime they want. The parent doesn't have to solidify a child's learning accommodations in the home or when they're walking around on the street or, you know, doing whatever they're doing in their free time. It's just when they're away from the parent within the structure of the school building that all of that paperwork applies. But the mask made all of that paperwork irrelevant. It made it all disappear, but it doesn't make it disappear. And that's the overall point here. The overall point is that it just does not make it disappear. I want to see class action lawsuits against all of these people. It's the only way forward, perhaps. But once that starts happening, it better become public so that people can share those affidavits and they can share those legal documents with one another and then insert their own state codes and then go after these school districts for breaking the law. And of course, it helps if you have a child within the system who's actually experienced all of this abuse. Because if they have, well, then you've got a leg up as opposed to someone who doesn't. So here's the last thing I wanted to bring up. And this too is always a big part of this podcast. And it has to do again with unlearning. Unlearning the lies and trying to arrive at the actual truth. And sometimes that's easier said than done, but sometimes, I'll tell you what, the, the articles of truth are, are remarkably small. They're out there, and uh, sometimes they're, they're not that hard to find, but sometimes they are hard to find. In either way, this raises more questions, and of course, the motives behind lying to people about history in particular, and science, I might add, is, uh, is purposefully designed to get people to pin themselves against one another or just, again, tell a false sense of history or the false telling of history. So this particular article is from a number of years ago, four years ago, or five, rather, um, and it's titled, it comes from America.org, A-M-E-R-I-K-A. It's titled, Another Myth Dies, American Indians Were Not Given Smallpox-Infected Blankets. So here's how it reads, and it's written by Brett Stevens. Quote, As part of the construction of the new American identity in the years following World War II, it was decided to demonize the Western European population and praise the Siberian immigrants who had come before them. As a means to this end, the noble savage myth was created along with the notion that the poor Americans were victims of genocide when Europeans gave them smallpox-infected blankets. This too turns out to be false because no documented evidence of smallpox blanket distribution exists except for a suggestion in a letter, but we know that they got smallpox after attacking a hospital. It says, quote, but the chain of events behind the one authentic case of deliberate smallpox contamination began in 1757 at the siege of Fort William Henry in present-day upstate New York. When Indians allied with French, ignored the terms of the surrender worked out between the British and the French, broke into the garrison hospital and killed and scalped a number of patients, some of them suffering from smallpox. The blankets and clothing the Indians looted from the patients in the hospital and corpses in the cemetery carried back to their villages reportedly touched off a smallpox epidemic. The French lost the war and left their Indian allies holding the bag. And in 1763, Chief Pontiac and his colleagues sparked an uprising against, against English settlers in the Great Lakes region that had Lord Geoffrey Amherst and the British forces close to despair. 
The Indians destroyed several of the smaller British forts, but Fort Pitt, present-day Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, held out under the command of Captain Simeon Ukir. I'm saying that right? A 22-year veteran Swiss mercenary in the British service. Ukir, whose native language was French, also spoke German, the pre uh, predominant language of his native Switzerland. The British had retained him because many settlers in Pennsylvania also spoke German. Smallpox had broken out among the British garrison, and during a parley on June 24, 1763, Ukir gave besieging Lenap warriors, if I'm saying that right, several items taken from smallpox patients. We gave them two blankets and a handkerchief out of the smallpox hospital. Captain William Trent of the garrison militia wrote in his journal, I hope it will have the desired effect. Smallpox did not break out among the Indian tribes whose warriors were besieging the fort. 19th century historian Francis Parkman estimated that 60 to 80 Indians in the Ohio Valley died in a localized epidemic, but no one is sure whether the smallpox was carried by Ukir's infected blankets or by the clothing Indian warriors had stolen from the estimated 2,000 outlying settlers they had killed or abducted. On one hand, we have evidence that they acquired smallpox from their own war crimes. On the other, only the usual conjecture based on casual and possibly non-serious conversation. As always, never trust the leftist version of history because it is far more leftist than history. Unquote. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Never stop unlearning. Never stop unlearning. Sift through the weeds, find the truth. It's in there somewhere. It always is. With all of that said, I'll catch you on Wednesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.